Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up Jay podcast. I'm your host, Jay, and I hope everyone's having a great day. I am joined by a former professor of mine at Caston University, still doing his thing over there, uh, teaching the uh, youths, and that is uh, Mr. Mr. Bill. Mr. Bill, how are we today? I am splendid today, Jay. I, I'm, I must say I am thrilled to have you on the show. Um, I am excited to be here. Well, as soon as you reached out to me about uh, the topic that we're going to be discussing momentarily, I was immediately interested. I love, you know, talking about this sort of thing. Um, and as I said, we will be getting into that in a little bit. That's a little, uh, little, uh, you know, teaser for you. But first, Mr. Bill, could you please tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, what your story is? Oh, thank you, Jay. Uh, I've been at Castleton now for, this is my 17th year and my 41st year with the Vermont State Colleges. Um, I taught at CCV for 25 years before going to Castleton. Um, I've taught school in middle schools, high schools, private schools, public schools, and even in jail. I've also been a probation and parole officer for the state of Vermont, which is why I end every one of my classes with the phrase, do not make me come out of retirement. I remember those days. <laughs> I looked forward to it. And that's, and now I'm kind of sort of retired, teach two classes a term at Castleton, stay home with the dogs, pretty much it. Well, it sounds very exciting. Um, which would you say have you had the most fun in your experience doing teaching middle schools, high schools, prison, universities? Which would you say is the either most well, I, fun or just the most memorable? I, I tell people that teaching at the college level is very much like teaching middle school, except that people shave and uh, they drink more. That's fair. <laughs> you think... Uh, behavior is pretty much the same. Yeah. So what classes are you uh, teaching now? Are you still doing uh, the uh, Touchstones class or are you just doing other things? Well, this term uh, is Touchstones and the course we're going to talk about later, Banned Books. Um, but what you may not know is Touchstones is on its way out. Really? At the, at the end of next semester, mm. Touchstones will go away. Wow. And it will be replaced by something they're calling Connections 2, which builds on the FYS introductory seminar. And then we'll focus more on reading and writing across the disciplines instead of the narrow focus of Western literature. Are you gonna are you gonna miss teaching touchstones or do you think it's a, do you think it's a necessary shift? Well, I will miss teaching touchstones because I I like it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of been the focus of my academic interest. Um, I, I do like the idea of shifting focus 
uh, as part of the gen ed curriculum. I would hope that they would keep touchstones around in another um, format so that people can have access to that kind of uh, literary experience. Would you mind uh, just sharing with the audience here just a little bit of what Touchstones is for those who may not be, you know, Castle students and may not be uh, familiar with the uh, subject? Touchstones is a literature survey course that hits ancient literature, medieval literature, Renaissance literature, a Shakespeare play, and 19th century British literature. It's a survey course. Um, each professor who teaches touchstones uses texts that they like, joy, that they're familiar with. Um, for example, in my class, I've always used Hamlet as the Shakespeare play, not because I have a particular affinity for Hamlet, but it's the play that was in the book that I chose uh, 12 years ago when I started doing touchstones. Right. I, I remember uh, reading Oliver Twist and Dante's Inferno. Those were uh, two of my highlights for when we were doing that. Well, when it comes to Dickens, uh, I swore I would not do great expectations because I had to do that in graduate school. Mm -hmm. uh, and the professor that I had for that course was an authority on Dickens who was making a presentation at the International Dickens Conference at the end of that summer. Um, and a lot of her stuff was on uh, Great Expectations. So I've put that one off to the side. I think Oliver Twist is more interesting anyway. Um, and Inferno, I mean, we're, it's it's a college situation, and college <laughs> students really need to know about all the different levels of hell. Uh, because, oh, yeah. well, you know, you, you take a look around the room, and you can place <laughs> everybody in a certain level, and you wouldn't be wrong. Now, if I recall correctly as well, I, I remember distinctly one of these assignments being you uh, create your own version of Dante's Inferno, your own um, levels of hell. Um, yes. could you explain what those type of assignments were as a part of the, uh, touchstones curriculum? Cause I feel like those were more of like a more creative assignment for the, for the class. Uh, you know, as, as you remember, we had what was called the weekly reader response, mm -hmm. which was a way for people to respond in writing, to prepare for the required 50 minute essay for the writing competency. Um, and when it came to doing longer pieces, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in more writing, more shorter pieces of writing results in better academic writers than one long paper. Uh, one long paper, it, I mean, let's be honest, people leave it until two nights before or three nights after, depending. <laughs> uh, but the shorter, the shorter assignments allow people to focus on something that's not as broad as a research paper. Um, the, 
create your own hell assignment is something that allows people who want to get a little creative, who want to have some fun with the assignment. Um, and it, it makes for some interesting reading, I must say. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so obviously you are still, you know, semi-retired professor at, you know, Castleton University. I'm still teaching a couple courses here and there, but what would you say throughout, you know, your time teaching at all certain levels, what do you think is your favorite part about being an educator in the uh, education system? Having the connections with younger students and helping them, especially helping college students navigate academia, academia is very worthwhile to me. Um, I, I enjoyed that part of it. Making the personal connections like you and I have made is another part that um, keeps me coming back year after year. I will say, you know, I remember walking around campus and when people would see you making your way over to, uh, you know, Hewden Dining Hall, um, you know, I never heard a negative thing. And that's not just me saying that because I'm looking right at you here. Always, always completely, you know, positive things. I see smiles going whenever I would see you either in Houston or walking across campus. You always seem to brighten the mood, you know, whether it was in the classroom or whether it was walking around campus. How do you, what do you attribute that to? Do you like, do you just attribute that to your expertise and kind of getting those connections with students or do you think it's kind of like a two-way street it's definitely a two-way street and it's also um given my work in the corrections field uh there were days uh that were not fun they mm -hmm. were not pleasant at all but i've come to castleton and it would be something completely different I would see people who are, were engaged in positive behaviors for the most part. Uh, and I would see people who were happy to be where they were, you know, even if it is a classroom at five o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, they were, they were in many ways happy to be there. Uh, and that kept me going. I would, I would say that Castleton saved me well that's uh that's interesting because i would i've heard that from a lot of people um that you know castlin as a as a university not just a university but as a community as well it's a very um very uh accepting type of environment i've found anyway i know that i transferred in after two years of uh you know local community college getting my gen eds done um at suny adirondack here in a Queensberry, but I know a lot of people found whether it was in their own departments, whether it was someone like me who was in the communications field and having a class with someone like you and still finding those connections. And it's just, I have no ill will toward anybody at a castle. And I have, you know, spoken to people that feel the same. So moving on here to the banned books course that you are teaching, um, could you kind of give us a brief uh, synopsis of what that is kind of because this was not offered when I was there. Otherwise I would have 
tried to get involved. But well, every term the uh, the deans put out a call for people to uh, present an honors course. Um, and in the past, I've done a course called detective fiction, which is an academic interest of mine. And it also ties in with one of my former jobs. I was a licensed private investigator for a couple of years. Uh, that was interesting. You have, uh, you have a very colored past, a very, well, uh, very interesting story. Yes, and, and some of which I, I can even talk about in public. <laughs> uh, some. But this, given the current political climate and given what's happening around the country and not, not only around the country, but even in Vermont, the idea of looking at certain texts that, are, that people think are obscene or sacrilegious or offensive in some way uh, I thought would be a worthwhile endeavor. So I've set it up in three parts. The first part we're just finishing up examines books that have been banned or challenged on religious grounds. And then we'll look at books that are challenged on political or social grounds. And then the last one, of course, which is the one everybody signed up for, was books exam uh, banned or challenged on sexual grounds. <clears throat> and part of the focus is on what, what kinds of books are being challenged now, right now in 2021. Uh, the American Library Association publishes a list every year of the 10 most challenged books. Uh, and most of them are in the, uh, I would call young adult area mm -hmm. because usually they get challenged because of something in schools uh, and, and or libraries. So that's the focus of, of the course. Why, why are these books banned? Who's doing the banning? What are their reasons behind it? Um, and what's kind of the history of why and how books are banned and challenged, especially here in this country? Yeah, in uh, the home of the free. You know, yeah, see you rolling I'm, your eyes there a little bit. I, I am. Uh, <laughs> one of the well, one of the things we're we're going to look at in a couple of weeks is this flap about critical race theory. Mm. Um, and I would argue that the people who object to critical race theory wouldn't know what it was if it jumped up and bit them in the ass. <laughs> Uh, they heard somebody uh, on Fox News or somebody on Facebook told them that critical race theory is bad. So they have to uh, mobilize against it. 
And I would also argue that some of the reasons they are against it is the first word is critical, which they interpret as criticizing, not critical, uh, no. race, which we can't talk about race. And then theory, well, that's like theory of evolution, so we don't need to pay attention to it. The one of the big complaints, we'll, we will not have critical race theory taught in our school. There is not a single school, elementary, middle or high school where critical race theory is taught in this country. Critical race theory is a law school, graduate school idea that people have, that people use to examine how society is structured. And are there things about the society that are grounded in race, such as uh, redlining, whereas where certain people can't get mortgages in a, in a certain area, mm -hmm. or building the building highways that go through low-income neighborhoods or neighborhoods people of color, neighborhoods of immigrants as opposed to other neighborhoods. Those kinds of issues, not, uh, oh, you have to apologize because you're white. No. Right. No. One thing that I will say, and this is more of a general statement, um, that you reference people seeing something on Fox News or reading it on Facebook or what have you. And I've found that the people that will preach, oh, don't believe everything you read or don't believe everything you hear, will hear one thing and just run with it and not listen to any other outside thing that would even remotely contradict it or what have you. It's like, nope, I read it. It is what it is. Yep. Um, and it's not that they've read it from any kind of reliable source. It's some meme that someone's posted gotta love social media you know yep. <laughs> a gift and a curse yep i i have to sit on my hands quite a bit oh i'm sure i'm sure you have a lot of things that uh could very easily come out that uh you got to take a more uh controlled uh route i suppose well my father passed away when i was young but one of the things he did teach me was never that it is unfair to get into a battle of wits with an unarmed person. And so I take that, uh, I take that advice every single day. I'm sure. I'm sure it's, uh, it's not easy. It isn't. I know it that isn't. I've, uh, I know that I'm not as uh, well armed as you, but I know that I, I know some things I would say, you know, and uh, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta remember that some people just aren't as either open to things or aren't as, uh, haven't learned how to seek out proper information or what have you. And you just gotta, you know, see what, uh, see where they're coming from, I guess. But. Yep. <laughs> But back to uh, the Honors 202 Banned Books course. Um, 
So you guys, is it just that class that's going to be taking part in a, the band book week starting on September 26th? Or is that something that you're going to be well, the, putting the, around? The students in the class are taking the lead role and they're doing a number of different projects uh, around campus. Uh, one of the things that I was little disappointed to hear was the demise of the radio station. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. The demise of the radio station that I used to know. Yeah. Uh, because my plan was to get somebody on and have, you know, have the band book of the day and kind of run that spot throughout the day. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not going to be able to happen. So we have to do some other things. So we, I've got I've got people designing posters and bulletin boards for different areas of campus. Others are working with the library staff to put up a display in the library as you walk in. Uh, other people are doing a little social media blitz uh, with the various Castleton, official Castleton social media platforms. Uh, we got people designing uh, posters for different air, all the public areas of campus. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in a week. How important do you think it is to uh, spread that word, not only in the in you know the classroom with this class in particular, but as you said, you're getting everything on all all over campus. How important do you think it is to have people, even you know, without realizing it, but becoming aware of you know books being banned well i think because most of the people of in most of the people from castleton come from areas where banning books is not an issue yeah or at least it's not an issue that has affected them and hasn't come across their radar but in the current hyper political climate it's beginning to uh, there's there's some stuff going on up north in one of the smaller towns that I don't think has hit people's radar yet. There was a, a rally at the Rutland Fairgrounds this summer that spoke against critical race theory and how people had to uh, become activists to make sure to keep it out of our schools. Uh, there's a huge fight in Rutland itself over the mascot. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Yeah, that's been happening at some places near me as well. The mascot and all the. Uh, all so stuff. I mean, that's you know that's another thing. Uh, I believe I just think it's important on a college campus that people know about this idea that people in positions of authority and power are dictating what you as a student can and cannot read. And in some states, even at the college level, it's become an issue, which to me is then why, why even have a college? Why? Why have a place where you can have a free exchange of ideas 
when you keep certain ideas out. You brought up the uh, hyper-political climate, um, and this isn't really a uh, recent development. I've been hearing about this since I was in middle school and high school, but how education, I've, I feel, has become an incredibly politicized you know, thing. Like, you know, college campuses are liberal. You know, like you hear that all over the place. How does that make you feel as an educator who, in my experience, all you've been trying to do is just open the minds of people to, you know, take in all all sorts of information? Well, I mean, I think you would agree. It's no secret where my political views lie. Yeah. Uh, But one of the things I've always tried to do is, especially in an area like literary literary studies is allow people who have conflicting views to be able to express them as long as they can defend them with credible sources. Right. So uh, the reader responses in the Touchstones class provide a perfect example of this. There are students who will provide an interpretation of a character's actions or something from one of the stories that I absolutely do not agree with. I, I just, no, I don't agree with it. But they, will, they can provide a compelling argument using examples from the text to support their position. And my response to them is often, I absolutely disagree with everything you've written but you have made the compelling argument. And I think that's important. Um, I I don't have a lot of patience with some of my colleagues who follow the it's my way or the highway system. You know, this is is what I say, this is the right way. There is no, uh, there is no other way. I don't, I don't buy that. It's a great way to teach. Of course. I don't buy that at all. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was always, I mean, as a student, I was always more interested in classes where the teacher did not do those things where they were more open. Obviously, as you just said, it's no secret what your beliefs are, but you're not shutting things out. You know what I mean? Especially if they have the, well, when they have the compelling argument to, you know, back it up. You know, I've, I've often, there, there was an assignment that I've used before uh, where a, a professor uses Antigone as an, to, and compares Antigone with uh, the former president's uh, ban on immigrants and the, the question is, do not do you agree with it, but does this person make a compelling argument? Which is different. Does yeah. the person make a compelling argument? And that's more critical thinking than do you agree or disagree? You shouldn't use the word critical. It's gonna yeah, I, I it's know, gonna turn people off. <laughs> I know, but I'm old. I'm st- it's tough for me to change. <laughs> Understandable. Understandable. Um, so 
the uh, you know ten books that are included on the American Library Association's top ten most challenged books list. Is there one? I don't know if you have the list in front of you right now, but is there one book that stands out to you that is on that list that you maybe excited? It's not the right word, but that you're like. I guess most pleased to see on there to get people more aware of, of one particular book, or is it more just that the list? Well, is one of the books, one of the books that makes a regular appearance is the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Many people think that the reason that Huckleberry Finn is banned is be, the use of the, what has now become the ethnic slur, the N word. Mm-hmm. Um, if you trace back the history of how that book has been, challenged or banned, um, it's very different. And my, I'm going to go under the assumption that most everybody has read Huckleberry Finn or is familiar enough with Huckleberry Finn. So instead of that, we're going to look at a book by Nat Hentoff called The Day They Came to Arrest the Book, where a school is asked to remove Huckleberry Finn for a number of of reasons and then it's who makes the who makes the compelling argument in this story about removing the book who makes the compelling argument and there's also other stuff going on like the smarmy principal uh, who's doing stuff behind the scenes and there's a whole there's a whole nother backstory to that which factors into the why and how certain books get banned or removed from library at this particular school that sounds very very interesting incredibly incredibly compelling Uh, one of the books that i i think is on the list that you have is called the absolutely true diet true diary of a part-time indian by sherman alexi we're going to look at that that one specifically uh, because it has it's an I think it's an interesting story. Uh, there are some there are some passages in there that might uh, offend some people, uh, but I would argue that high school students who read that um, would not be offended at all. It's kind of how they live their lives and how they communicate with each other. Uh, but in addition to the text where there, there are some issues of uh, that we need to talk about, the, there is a separate issue where Alexi has been uh, challenged himself because of his inappropriate behavior. Uh, and then it's do we do we not read this particular author because of his inappropriate behavior, or do we acknowledge his inappropriate behavior, condemn it, but take a look at the artifact, the the novel as something separate, or can you not do that? Man, it's the same with Bill Cosby mm-hmm. in the. In the Touchstones class, we look at Genesis, if you remember, yeah. and the story of the flood. Yeah. 
Bill Cosby, the comedian, back when I was in high school. So, you know, that's a long time ago, Jay. <laughs> uh, did a sketch called Noah in the Flood. Mm-hmm. And um, I use that sketch. You know, how does this sketch inform your knowledge of Noah and the Flood? Um, and I struggled with that because of all the stuff that's circled around Cosby. Do we simply not acknowledge some of the stuff that he's done because of his actions? Or do we acknowledge that his actions are reprehensible, but this artistic production is worth taking a look at? It is definitely like uh, an interesting line to walk on, you know, because it is like it, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, any art form, whether it's music, whether it's, you know, painting, whether it's, you know, an author and, and, you know, their works, it's, it's, uh, it's, you don't want to support somebody doing those things, you know, but it, you gotta, you're going to have to more likely than not take a look and see why something is the way it is, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is, does, does the author's behavior reveal itself in his work? Mm-hmm. If the author's objectionable behavior reveals itself in his artistic work or her artistic work, then that I think that's a different conversation. You know, if someone who is expressing, oh, let's call it anti-Semitic views publicly and also in their their literary work how how do we deal with that how do we handle that i mean like you can't just shut those things completely out because they're they're out there you know what i mean and like people are gonna find them and you're gonna find people that for one way or another, agree with those things. And if you're shutting those out and not taking a look at them, you don't, you're not arming yourself for that type of discussion. I agree. Um, one of the compelling arguments against banning books is that when someone decides to ban a book that creates a conversation, it puts that particular book in the spotlight. Uh, sales go up more people talk about it, both for and against. Sales go up. It's, uh, somebody, it's interesting how somebody, that works. Somebody comes on to a, a podcast and mm. sales go up. Yeah. You're given the platform to uh, have that voice. Have that voice be heard. That's another thing we, we look at is what happens when a book is banned, especially now, as opposed to, let's say in the 1500s. Although when it comes to Salman Rushdie and the satanic verses, it might as well have been in the 1500s. Right. That's what we're talking about next week. Mm. Sounds very interesting. Do you mind if we uh, 
discuss a little bit of the uh, hyper political climate just just a little bit briefly. I have a question about um, what it was like uh, teaching, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, January 6th. Uh, were you teaching courses at that point? Obviously, there's the winter break, but yeah, we, we were. And that was. Uh, we were remote. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't that face-to-face -face conversation happening um, like between classes, right after classes, uh, and Hewden and Fireside, any of those places, those weren't happening. Right. And the, uh, the classes that I was, the classes that I did teach were both uh, touchstones, I think. Uh, yeah, they were both touchstones. So they were asynchronous. So we didn't meet like we're meeting now. Yeah. Uh, I, I would be available for people to drop in if they wanted, but uh, we, you know, every, everything was done on the students' time. So read the stuff. Here's a couple of assignments. Here are some little videos that I made about um, Genesis and Inferno and Overtwist. Watch them, write some stuff, take some quizzes. And still I'm having to drag people kicking and screaming across the finish line, but. Right. That's another story. Uh, now, I think because we were not on campus, the the level of discussion around January sixth didn't happen like it would if we were. And do you think that that is more of a uh, more? I mean, I would imagine you would think that's more of a negative thing to not be able to have those discussions. I would say yes. There was the you know people had some very strong feelings about that. I know I still have very strong feelings about that. Uh, and to not have the opportunity to discuss and share those feelings and concerns, I think led to some people's anxiety. And um, I know that some students were very, very isolated and it, didn't have the opportunity to connect outside of their family group. Did you have anyone reach out to you to discuss it at all? I know that you aren't a, uh, you know, history professor, but did you have anybody reach out to you to have that discussion or did you not at all? I did not. And again, I think it's because we were, we were remote and it was, yeah. it was more text back and forth. Um, so there, there wasn't, had we been in person, you know, having had me in class that there would have been a time where I would have, um, let's say, rift on the subject. 
aired the aired your aired your grievances. Uh, but <laughs> since there wasn't that face to face opportunity, that, that didn't happen. I'm I'm curious because uh, my younger brother he uh, went to school to be a high school history teacher, um, and I'm wondering how. I think, and he's more U.S. history, so I'm wondering how. A, you're going to teach that moment in you know time, and B, how that will be received by students because, you know, growing up, especially if he's going to be teaching freshmen and sophomores at like your interpretation of like life and your in interpretation of culture is shaped by your environment growing up. So like depending on, you know, your parents' beliefs, you probably already have an opinion on something. And I'm just, I'm intrigued to see how that's going to all unfold. Well, the big thing from my school experience was the assassination of John Kennedy. Mm. Um, and I remember that vividly. There's a, I wrote a whole essay about that, uh, which I will find and send to you. That defined my generation, if you will. Dealing with all of the conspiracy theories around the Kennedy assassination, uh, has always been problematic for me because I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy. Uh, yeah. So, and some of it just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever because there's nothing to back it up. It's all conjecture. Mm -hmm. Those ones are my favorite when everyone does is like, well, no, it's there. And there's just, there's just nothing, you know, and, you know, and then with the September 11th, um, that's a, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, at that, that's not as defining for me as the Kennedy assassination. I think it's because I was 13 years old. Right. And, um, you know, my connection with the September 11th, uh, thing is I know personally um, two people who died in the attacks in uh, one in New York and one in uh, the, the one in Pennsylvania where the, they were going to go to crash into the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have that connection there, that personal connection there, but it still doesn't resonate as strongly as the Kennedy thing did. And I think it's because it's also the first experience that I had as a, as a well, not a young child, but someone who's coming into his own of the realities of the world. And, um, the, the September 6th thing, I'm not this, the January 6th thing yeah. is, I, I'm speechless over how people deny what happened. I agree with you. 
I'm, it's it's mind-boggling. I'm sitting there. I watched it in real time. I watched it in real time. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and it's I, it's, it's mind-boggling that people are claiming that it, it was just a bunch of tourists. Yeah. That, yeah. That to me, that's yeah. It gives evidence to denial is not just a river in Egypt. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, working for uh, a you know newspaper at the time reporting, and I remember we were working from home that day, um, and it was going on. I was watching it with my older brother while it was on unfolding, while still trying to get my other work done, and it was it was just I couldn't believe it, you know. I mean, it was just, and as you just, you know, said so eloquently, people still saying that it was unarmed people. They weren't trying to hurt anybody. It was a bunch of tourists. It's just, it's just, just not at all true. And it will be interesting to see what happens this weekend with the the rally to support the poor persecuted people of January 6th. Again, denial. Not just river in Egypt. Not just river in Egypt. All right, well, Mr. Bill, I'm now going to transition into our gut reaction segment if you know what that is okay i'm ready all righty so for those of you who do not know the gut reaction segment i come up with five questions for my guest in this case mr bill the legend himself and he gives me his hot takes on the five questions that i give him some of these are kind of softball questions i'm not gonna lie like this first one right here which is what would you say as you've been in vermont for a long time. I know you were not born in Vermont, um, but you've been a part of the Vermont State College system, as you said, for a long time. What would you say is the best part of the Green Mountain State? The weather. I'm a New England kid. Yeah. I like four seasons. I've lived for two years in Washington, D.C. That's as south as I ever want to go. Um, I do miss the ocean, but um, the mountains, the four seasons, I'm I'm in. I'm here. I agree with you. I agree with you. I love, uh, you know, being a New York kid. I grew up, uh, was, you know, born in Manhattan, lived in Queens until I was going into fourth grade, then upstate New York ever since. Um, but I remember going, you know, to college in Vermont, and I, I love it. I, lo- I love it out there. And uh, my, uh, you know, uh, Melissa, my uh, girlfriend is uh, doing AmeriCorps actually right now. She's uh, stationed in Montpelier. So I have an excuse to uh, go see the state capitol every once in a while. It's pretty nice. (laughs) Right. State house cafeteria actually has good food. I'm going to have to go check it out. Question number two. Mr. Bill, you and I would uh, often go back and forth, 
not during class time, of course, about uh, alcoholic beverages, you know, favorite uh, beers and the like. What is uh, your alcoholic beverage of choice these days? Maker's Mark. Or bourbon of any shape. <laughs> of any kind. I haven't gotten uh, haven't gotten into liquor as favorite, much as favorite uh, beer, cold. <laughs> That's a good answer. It's a good answer right there. Question number three. I would often see you either in the classroom, walking around campus, or at Castleton sporting events. My you know memory, I see you at the uh, Castle or the Spartan Arena in Rutland for the uh, hockey games. So would you rather be in the classroom teaching, you know, your band books course, or would you rather be cheering on the Spartans hockey team at Spartan Arena? Oh, that's a forced choice. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, as a rule, normally, I would prefer to be in the classroom. But not having had the opportunity to be at Spartan Arena and cheering on the lads, uh, this season, it's going to be at the arena, being as loud as I possibly can. You, uh, you're going to be singing the national anthem pregame. Uh, I am. I'm already, I'm already scheduled for the opening women's game and the opening men's game. Awesome, that's great. I'm glad you're uh, still doing that. Now, as you are a literary, uh, you know, educator. I know that you read a lot of books and a lot of authors and a lot of writers. Name one writer that you would, if you found someone on the street and they were like, who is one writer that I absolutely need to read up on, whether it's their works, their backstory, whatever. Name one writer that you would say is the most important to, to read up on. Oh. That's a tough one. Um, I have an, an academic and a personal interest in detective fiction. Mm -hmm. And my go-to writer in that genre is Michael Conlon, the guy who is uh, responsible for the Harry Bosch series, which was turned into a Amazon Prime series, which actually was pretty good. Um, had cobbled pieces from different novels and put them put them together. Um, but overall, I I liked that. Um, and he would be an author that I would recommend. And another author in that genre is James Lee Burke, who mm -hmm. focuses his attention on the Bayou area uh, around New Orleans. Interesting. I've never uh, never. I'm not. I, I love mystery works, but I don't think I've really, you know, been able to dive into the deep end of a detective fiction. I'm going to have oh, to look into you, it. You should. Oh, I will. I will, I will definitely take your recommendations to heart here. I know you only, only recommend good things. So last question for the gut reaction segment, Mr. Bill. Drum roll. There you go. What is a book not included on this year's uh you know for you know those uh 
list of the top 10 books or, you know, Huckleberry Finn is a recurring one, as you said, what's one book that is not usually included or not included this year that uh, you would recommend to someone looking to expand their horizons in the realm of, you know, books that are contended or banned for one reason or another. It's a book called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by D. Brown. Um, it's the story of how the United States government has treated indigenous people in this country. And it is told through the documents of the uh, culture that's in power. So instead of being a novel that champions the, the rights of indigenous people, instead of being a polemic, it's a collection of stories and documents that tell the story um, and documents that exist that do not give a flattering portrayal of the US government of the 19th century. I'm in. And in the new uh, Connections course, that's gonna be one of the books. Ooh, that's exciting. It sounds really interesting. I, I like those those type of things that incorporate like the the actual you know documentation because you can't really contest that you know it's it's hard uh, hard evidence. Although you know people will probably try. <laughs> they do all the time. <laughs> they do all the time. You just got to arm yourself or don't get into a battle with someone who's unarmed. Right. This is true. <laughs> Well, Mr. well, you can get into a battle with someone who's unarmed, but it's really unfair. It is unfair. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a uh, something that you can do, just not right. something that you maybe should do. Right. Well, Mr. Bill, I appreciate you uh, reaching out and uh, giving me the information on your Band Books course and Band Books Week, which is going to be September 26th through October 2nd. Um, do you have anything else that uh, you would like to uh, plug here or, you know, or say or whatever? I'm rolling out the red carpet. The floor is yours. Read early, read often. <laughs>